book of Deuteronomy, chapter 14, verses 22 through 29. I invite you now to listen for God's word to you. Set apart a tithe of the yield of your seed that is brought in yearly from the field. In the presence of the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose as a dwelling for his name, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, your wine, and your oil, as well as the firstlings of your herd and flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if, when the Lord your God has blessed you, the distance is so great that you are unable to transport it, because the place where the Lord your God will choose to set his name is too far away from you, then you may turn it into money. With the money secure in hand, go to the place that the Lord your God will choose. Spend the money for whatever you wish, oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink, or whatever you desire. And you shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your household rejoicing together. As for the Levite residents in your town, do not neglect them, because they have no allotment or inheritance with you. Every third year you shall bring out the full tithe of your produce for that year and store it within your towns. The Levites, because they have no allotment or inheritance with you, as well as the resident alien, the orphan, and the widow in your town, may come and eat their fill, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work you undertake. And the New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. As Jesus taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance, say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then Jesus called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think it's fair to say that, in general, we are a culture that prefers quantity over quality. Perhaps this is because it's easier to see quantity at first glance, while quality is harder to discern with the naked eye. After all, aren't we a country known for supersized value meals and big gulp 60-ounce fountain drinks and king-sized candy bars? I think Emily was only giving away fun size today. Companies get caught in scandals of planned obsolescence, hoping to sell more electronics by reducing the quality of the device's durability. 
Even musicians and authors, after establishing themselves, seem to pump out more and more content, often at the expense of the excellence that fueled their initial success. Our culture tends to prefer quantity over quality, at least at first glance. The classic story, then, of the widow's might is instructive for us who swim in a culture obsessed with quantity. For it is not the quantity of the widow's offering, but its quality that provokes Jesus to offer his disciples a teaching moment. We know that the widow's might is not impressive because of its size. In fact, the term might is a holdout from the old King James Version of the Bible, and based on a 14th century Dutch word meaning small cut piece. The term was deemed the best translation of the Greek word lepta, which means small or thin, and is used to describe the two coins that the widow offers in this text. A leptos was a Judean coin, and two lepta equaled one Roman quadrant, which was the smallest Roman coin in circulation at that time. Mark explains all this exchange rate for his Roman readers. But simply put, the widow's offering is the smallest offering imaginable in terms of quantity. So clearly it's the quality of her offering that is remarkable, which leads us to ask, what is it about the widow's offering that makes it a demonstration of quality? As we consider the offerings we intend to make to the church in the year ahead. The widow's offering demonstrates for us what makes for a quality gift in at least three ways. First, a quality gift comes from a pure heart. A quality gift is not about showing off or jousting for influence. To be pure in heart is to place oneself aside for the sake of others and to make the edification of another one's sole motivation. The elaborate scribes with their long robes and the best seats at the synagogues and banquets provide a stark contrast to this unassuming widow. When the scribes passed through the marketplace, people were expected to stand up and to demonstrate their honor and respect. In other words, the scribes were all about show and not about substance. Not so the pure in heart. The pure in heart are all substance and no show. The pure in heart don't mind being behind the scenes. The pure in heart don't mind decreasing so that others might increase. Ancient interpreters believed that the two coins in this passage symbolized an undivided heart. Not a mite would I withhold, says the widow. Her humble faithfulness is a rebuke to the toxic arrogance of the scribes. You see, a quality offering comes from a pure heart. Second, a quality offering actually costs us something. A quality offering stretches us and so ultimately produces spiritual growth in us. Like the people putting large sums of money into the temple treasury before the widow, we sometimes give out of our abundance rather than stretching ourselves beyond our abundance. 
Sometimes we give from our so-called discretionary income rather than assigning generosity the same urgency and priority we assign to, say, paying our bills. Jesus declares that the widow gives, according to the NRSV, all she has to live on. The Greek is even sharper, stating that the widow gives her whole life. In other words, her whole way of being is involved in her giving. Her offering is not peripheral to the rest of who she is, but integral. It comes from her core. Her offering is a reflection on all that she has and does. Our generosity should affect the rest of our lives as well. Because, you see, we cannot become more generous until we learn to give to the point of being uncomfortable. To give faithfully means that we cannot do something else we otherwise would have done because we choose instead to be generous. You see, generosity is an integral part of spiritual maturity. We cannot grow in any area of our lives or any area of our faith until we stretch ourselves, and the same is true with generosity. When we practice fasting, for instance, we eat less than we otherwise would have in order to develop discipline over our impulses. When we practice prayer, we listen more than we otherwise would have to develop a discerning sensitivity to God's spirit at work in the world. When we read the Bible, we consume less media than we otherwise would have to develop a scripture-shaped lens through which to view the world. When we practice Sabbath, we work less than we otherwise would have in order to ensure that we faithfully enjoy the blessings of God's good creation. So too, when we practice generosity, we stretch ourselves to give more than we otherwise would have in order to grow in our faith in the one who provides all that we have. Of course, this means something different for each one of us. Maybe it means fewer meals out so that we can give generously. Maybe it means one fewer subscription, or maybe it means waiting a little longer for that new computer or that new television so that we can give generously. Maybe it means economy class rather than business class so we can give generously. But whatever it means for each of us individually, a quality offering will stretch us in new ways. For Jesus, the quality of a gift lies not in the amount but in the cost to the one who gives it. A quality offering means that we give in a way that changes how we otherwise might live. And third, and perhaps most subtly, a quality offering is a challenge to the status quo, a challenge to the way things are. The short account of the widow's might is actually more subversive than we might realize at first glance. It's more radical, more prophetic than the simple vignette about giving it is often assumed to be. While the scene certainly praises the widow's actions and her discipleship, it also demands that we as readers consider perceptively the circumstances in which this widow finds herself. Because while her offering is praiseworthy, her situation is lamentable. Because as a poor widow with much poverty and little to live on, 
the temple establishment was supposed to be helping her. After all, the Old Testament law repeatedly requires God's people to care for widows. Consider the teaching on tithing that we read in our text from Deuteronomy today. It says, every third year you shall bring out the full tithe of your produce for that year and store it within your towns. The Levites, because they have no allotment or inheritance with you, as well as the resident aliens, the orphans, and the widows in your towns, may come and eat their fill of all of your tithes, so that the Lord your God may bless you in the work that you undertake. And as if to follow up, later in Deuteronomy, the text says in no uncertain terms, Cursed be anyone who deprives the alien, the orphan, and the widow of justice. You see, the irony in Mark's text is that the temple that is supposed to be protecting, supporting, and providing for this widow is actually taking from her. And the scribes who are supposed to be overseeing the just implementation of God's law, who are supposed to ensure that the widows from the towns can come and have their fill of the tithes, the scribes are too full of themselves to correct this wrongdoing. So we see that the widow's might is not only an individual expression of one person's faithful discipleship, though it is that, but it's also a prophetic rebuke of the status quo, an embodied reproof of the religious system that was neglecting the vulnerable it was meant to uphold. So a quality offering challenges the usual state of affairs and compels the church to more faithful discipleship. You see, when we give our gifts, we must not then just wash our hands of stewardship for the year and disengage. Instead, we must with boldness consider and discern and measure the faithfulness of our stewardship and the faithfulness of the church against the way things are. Because a quality offering is a challenge to the status quo. So friends, as we once again commit our gifts and indeed our very lives to God on this Stewardship Dedication Sunday, may our offerings reflect the, go the godly quality of the widow's offering, whatever their quantity might be. Some of us can give a lot and others of us can give a little, but all of us can give quality gifts. All of us can give gifts with pure, undivided heart. All of us can give gifts that truly cost us something, and all of us can give gifts that challenge and refine the church's faithfulness. Therefore, let us give our gifts, our lives, and our very selves in service to the one who gave his life for us, Jesus Christ our Lord, that we might walk in newness of life and be his faithful disciples. Alleluia and thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>